Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me today is a former NFL running back and the CEO of MB5 Sports Group. Please help me welcome Mel B. to Self Made. Mel, welcome to the program. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm excited. Man, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, you have an interesting story, so I'm going to jump right in. I want to start at your childhood. Tell me about where you grew up and what your childhood was like. I'm born and raised in Liberty City, Florida, which is Miami. And uh, part of, you know, the area of uh, Liberty City is where, you know, we had one of uh, the, the name of a riot, you know, saying the McDuffie uh, riot that it happened. One of the very first riots in Miami. So I'm right in the inner city and also attended Miami Northwestern City High School, which is a predominantly black uh, high school, which produced a lot of NFL talent, like um, several guys like Teddy Bridgewater and Amari Cooper right now and playing for the Cow- Well, playing for Cleveland Browns was a former cowboy. So in, in your uh, community, uh, what was the community like? You know, what challenges did you face as a kid? Well, one of the things that... Um, the city is, is, is so big and everybody visit Miami thinks South Beach is where what is Miami, but it's not. That's across the bridge. We didn't frequent South Beach, you know, because back then there was a lot of racism that was going on. So a lot of the locals, we didn't we didn't really go over. But a lot of people that come to visit back then in the 80s wanted to go. Hey, let's go to the South Beach. We look at them kind of strange, like, you know, we really don't do that. Yeah. They're looking at me like, you know, why? You know, like I said, we you had some complications. Uh, back then, and still a few things now, but it has gotten a lot better. But as a whole, the inner city, it has its poverty, but it has some great features as far as camaraderie, but people really care. And that's where, as a competitor in the sports, where my, my desire, my drive, and me not being able to quit, and no matter what I do, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at the top and I'm going to give 110% because of, I just have that confidence and that swag that comes from Liberty City. Now, you were a uh, running back uh, in, in college, and you played a few years in, in the uh, NFL. Where did you develop your love of football, or when did you develop it? Well, actually, uh, in my dad's, in the projects, it's called, you know, Zen, where my, my uncle uh, was, a, he was a, he's a, he's a drill sergeant. He actually took me at the age of eight and threw me in some pads. He had a, we had a league called, the, it was a project league. And I was a young and playing against grown guys. So he would throw me, he threw me in that running back and, and just like, look, you get out here and just shut up and stop crying. So he would toss, toss you the ball. I run fast as I can to the sideline and then try to outrun everybody. Yeah. And so that's where I guess the toughness of the mindset came because I was playing with guys at 15, 16 years old at the age of eight and nine. So the mindset of competitors came early in the projects in that, that project league that we had. So, Talk about high school. You played football in high school, am I correct? Yes, sir. Miami so, Northwestern. So tell me, tell me about your high school and your high, your high school football career. Well, it started at the Northwest Boys Club is where I started playing as well. Also, after that, uh, that stint at, with the Project Lead. So I ended up going and convincing my mom to beg her, matter of fact, to take me over to Northwest Boys Club to play. And I didn't realize that, you know, what I was doing was so exceptional. I was just having fun. And as I, I started Northwest Boys Club, I'm a young kid, you know, running around in eighth grade, and I see these two grown men approaching me with gold shirts on, says Miami Northwestern. And uh, they asked one kid, where's Melvin Bratton? So the kids pointed the areas right there. So I'm all nervous, like, who are these, you know, grown men? 
I actually, that's when the recruiting process started. And Coach Roger Coffey, Coach Ford, who are, are you know, in heaven right now, they came to me at, at that young age and said, listen, we hear that you was uh, the best running back in the city of Miami at his age. We want to get you at Miami Northwestern as a ninth grader to come in and go and play varsity behind a guy named George Buster Rhymes, not the rapper, but he played at Oklahoma. And uh, George was getting ready to go to school. And he said, we need to fill that position. We feel you the, you the next guy up that'd be the franchise for our high school team. So during that, uh, those high school years, uh, talk about you know, some games that stand out to you and what your overall performance was like and how that well, propelled you to college. Well, one of the things, uh, I also ran track. So I was state champion in, in uh, the, the hurdles. I won the state champion in 120 highs uh, my sophomore year and my junior year. And I didn't realize what I was doing. I had a state record in a triple jump at 49.8. Uh, it held for about 10 years. So, but I, I grew up running track as well. But I was a big back. I was six foot one and weighing at 210 pounds, 715, you know, in high school. So, I just, I excelled and had, you know, the, the speed and to see a guy that big, everybody was really shocked to see a big back like that made a move and run hurdles. Yeah. So the, that, that mindset again came from our high schools are, we have several top uh, schools. You got Miami Central, Miami Northwestern, Miami Edison, also Kara City. Those are robberies. All of them were within a 10 minute drive of each other. So the talent was so, so, I mean, thick to the point where each school could win a uh, state championship at any given time. So that's where the, the competitive spirit came. And I, after winning state championships, I got recruited very highly. I was a five-star kid that came out of the uh, city of Miami, throughout the state of Florida, throughout the country. I was rated number three in the, in the state. And so the scholarships came. I actually had more track scholarships than I did football, but I hated track. I, I did it to stay out of, out of football in the spring, and, but I excelled. So all the track uh, offers was coming in and coaches would want to come talk to me. I look at them and shake my head. They said, what's wrong? I said, you're wasting your time. I'm not running the track no more after I leave this, this uh, high school. So football is my thing, and, I, and that's where I plan to put uh, my energy in. So tell me how you um, ended up at Miami, the University of Miami. Well, University of Miami, great question. Uh, actually, I didn't want to go to Miami. I, that was not even a choice because University of Miami back then was terrible. All right, they... We didn't, I didn't know anything about the program. I'm 15, 20 minutes from the campus and still didn't follow it. I was watching one of my high school games on a repeat. Uh, we played on Friday nights, but they would show the games on Sunday. There's a coach, a famous coach named Bob Kaufman, who was a great basketball coach, and he knew I'd be watching the game. So he made the comment. He said, somebody better tell Mel Bratton that the University of Miami are graduating uh, three of the seniors running backs. He can come in and be an instant starter. So I'm like, huh. He knew I'd be watching the game, so that kind of piqued my interest. I, I already took trips to University of Michigan, uh, University of Pittsburgh, Ohio State, Texas A&M sent a private plane to pick me up. Here I am, a high school inner city kid, never rode, rode a PJ before, and picked me up in Miami uh, in the airport and flew me to College Station, which was a great experience. And my last trip was to the Southern Cal, but I canceled it because I, I didn't want to go to the West Coast. So I had put all my trips in one month, so I decided to stay home and take a visit. But as I looked around, me and my college roommate, Alonzo Highsmith, who's now back at the University of Miami now as a general manager of football, we was on the phone, and he played at a rival high school. And I said, hi. You know, I said, man, 
I'm thinking something a little different. He said, what? He said, what you, what you thinking? And we were on the phone late night about one in the morning. I said, man, you know what? Let's stay home and change the culture of Miami football. He, he said, you know what? I was thinking this thing. I said, man, forget all this Ohio State, go blue, Michigan, and all these top, top, not schools. But, you know, I said, let's just create our, and we spoke that into existence, not yeah. knowing as a teenager, you know, saying that you speaking uh, that to existence. We end up signing. We recruited the big, bigger class. We had Jerome Brown, one of the kids that, you know, he passed, played for the Philadelphia Eagles in the Ring of Fame. And we recruited these kids, all of us. So we stayed that class in 1983. It changed the culture, not only the city of Miami, but it changed the University of Miami football. They credit Alonzo Hostel and Melvin Bratton as the pioneers that kicked that program out. And we won our first national championship that, that year coming in, our freshman year. Wow. So talk to me about, you know, some of the games. Give me some highlights from your, uh, your uh, college career. Well, my, my best coming out party, I was, uh, I was red-shirted to let you know how competitive we are. My college roommate is my best friend. He played running back, fullback as well, Alonzo Hospital. Uh-huh. And I, was, uh, I got red-shirted. I was pissed off that, like, you know, how you, you know, get on the field before me? But when I started playing the second year, and we sit in the room, and me and my other, uh, two other roommates, I told him, I said, listen, I said, if you get hurt, you might as well transfer because you will never play again because once I get in the game, it's over. <laughs> so that's the mindset that we had and how competitive we were as far as on, on that team. Yeah. And that's why the U became the U because our swagger, our mindset is a whole lot different. So I ended up starting my very first game, and you're probably familiar with this game. It's called the Hell Flutie game. That's when Doug Flutie head through the Hail Mary. If people don't, he overshadowed my, 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 my touchdowns. I had four touchdowns, 100 receiving, 100 rushing in that game. And I, I thought that, you know, I said, listen, all the media, what came to me after I scored the last touchdown with the last few seconds left, yeah. I said, no. I said, no, no. I said, I don't want to talk right now because I've seen Doug Flutie do this a week before and, and threw a launch to pass like that as well and won the game. So I knew his capabilities. Show sure enough, the hell flu was birthed and born and Mel Bradley got some press with uh, <laughs> nobody knows that, 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 that kid, that young freshman kid, redshirt freshman kid had a, the game of his life. Wow. So you go on to uh, play your senior year and that's when, um, you know, I guess sort of a tragedy occurred. Uh, talk to us about uh, your senior year and, and ultimately playing in the Rose Bowl. Well, yeah, it was the Orange Bowl, the Orange National Bowl. Championship yeah, yep. versus uh, uh, Oklahoma. And one of the things that the competitive spirit, I stood in front of my team. I was a team captain for two years. I told them, and I meant this, I said, if, I, if you have to give any part of your body to win this National Championship tonight, do it. And I spoke it. And I had to first open a touchdown. It was a pass, like, uh, 40-some yards to kick the game off. And I had one of my best games, uh, nine, nine receptions in that game as well. But in the fourth quarter, I ended up, uh, we were up, you know, saying about a couple of touchdowns, but Jimmy Johnson was kind of nervous and wanted to put the starters back in. So I went back in and that was a play where instead of me going out of bounds, I tried to plant a cutback across the grain to score another touchdown. And the guy behind me had pulled me. And that's when uh, my knee uh, total just popped. I heard it pop. And before that game, I was on uh, Good Morning America with Brian Gumble, and I went to the, the on the television. They had Oklahoma player uh, Dante uh, was a linebacker. They had me. He came in a sweatsuit. I had on a tie, dress sharp like you. So I got my, my suit and tie on 
as a college kid. So Brian Gumbel said, well, you know, Mr. Bratton, you're pretty sharp. It's six in the morning. Well, where are you going? Why are you, you know, you're pretty sharp. I told him, look right in his face. I said, listen, this is a business game for me. So when after this game right here, it's all business. So yeah. I'm preparing myself for the next step. And that's when I did it. But when that happened, one thing I can say that I had and God blessed me with is to have a degree. So when I was on that ground in tears and I knew that, you know, saying that my knee had done, it was totally, it was done. And, but I had a degree, but one mm-hmm. of the things that, that I spoke that into existence, if you see the 30 for 30, you documentary part one, I, I said, I would give anything to, to, to win this championship. And I did, if I had to do it over again, I do the same again, to, because I wanted to, to win that championship. So, but you ultimately, uh, you began to rehab your, your knee, right? And you, you fell in the draft. So talk about that process and, and, and going to the uh, NFL, getting drafted the first time. Yeah, so uh, you did your homework and you do diligence. Yeah, so I got drafted twice, and that's very rare. Uh, but one of the things, how I became an agent, and this is how it, 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 it sparked me, I actually – told my agent at the time, his name was Robert Fairley. He got killed in a plane crash with Payne Stewart back in the days, the golfer. And Robert was my agent. But when I blew my knee out, my hometown team drafted me to Miami Dolphins. And I told him, uh, I, had a, I, was, I was blessed to have an insurance policy with the Lords of London for a million dollars. So I had that tax-free sitting. And ba- back then, the base salary for the NFL was $75,000. So I had a million tax-free sitting to the right. And then with a, with a knee injury, which I could have went on and started my life and, you know, and got in business. I, I have a degree in business management. So I had, you know, saying leverage in a sense like that because I was going to start my life off at least with a bill ticket. But the sport, if I, I couldn't just walk away from the game. So I rehabbed for the whole entire year. I got drafted. If you don't, uh, the Dolphins drafted me, my hometown team, Don Shula, God bless the dead, his soul. And me and him had many battles because I, I fired a shot on the front page of the paper to Miami Herald after he drafted me. I said, okay, I'm glad the Dolphins got me in the sixth round, but I, I want first round money. But I'm listening to my two roommates in the back while I'm talking to the reporter. Yeah. And being young, I blurted out something, and then now they took it and ran. And that was the whole thing. Like, this kid is basically in their own crutches, and he's screaming that he wants first round money. So – we, uh, I didn't end up signing. If you don't sign with that team, a contract, you go back into next year's draft. So I went through the scrutiny for two years, two drafts. Wow. I went back in, and uh, they drafted Sammy Smith, you know, the running back out of Florida State. And I went back in the draft pool. And I got drafted a round later for the Devil Broncos. So Dan Reeves, who's, you know, in heaven as well, he gave me a shot on life twice. He drafted me as an injured player. I ended up starting the Super Bowl as a rookie, me and Bobby Humphrey, a two rookie tandem has never been done. Started the Super Bowl against the 49ers. We got beat to sleep 55-10. But, you know, coming out that tunnel, it meant so much to me. It was worth a yeah. million dollars to get my name called as a starter in the Super Bowl in New Orleans, coming out of that Superdome. Yeah. I wouldn't trade that for the world. I mean, money could buy that, 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 that feeling that people told me that I would never play again. I never walk straight again. And I'll be, you know, just never get an opportunity. So I forfeited the million dollars, and that's when I started negotiations. I told my agent, I said, listen, tell Lords of London, get me to the third regular season game to make that the roster. Once I make the roster, I forfeit the million dollars. So we rewrote the policy. So he said, how did you come up with that? I was like, well, I mean, I don't just want to take their money, but I also want to play. I want to make sure I'm secure on the team. 
Yeah. And I made the roster inactive and I got two years in and uh, I thought the same mentally, but physically technology wasn't where it is today. And it, it took me a, a while to try to, to get back and I never rega regained that, that player I was. Did that affect you, you know, uh, mentally or emotionally having to give the game up that you love so much? Very much so. And, and you know, us as minorities, we, we have a hard time saying being depressed or, you know, psychological, you know, warfare within. Yeah. I went through it. I went through it mentally and I was depressed. I, I didn't watch football for a year and uh, it's just a lot of things mentally. But I, I didn't see a therapist or anything like that because, you know, that macho-ness and that brandness, it was like, you know, I don't need that. But me and my mom went through it. I mean, and it taught me values till today because I've heard the story. I've heard people whispering, even guys, I would go out at a nightclub, whatever, I'm on crutches. It would tell the girls, oh, he broke now. He's a regular dude, you know, like that. And he, yeah. he he's no longer, you know, that guy. So I heard those things. So it, it, it put in my mind. So now, you know, now I'm being on my own sports agency. I vow to, to God, like, I don't care if you're a first-round pick or a last-round pick. I treat you the same because I saw me being a star today going tomorrow, but back again, again, and again. So it taught me adversity, taught me how to fight, which I'm a fighter regardless. But that whole mindset of the press spirit that I had, I, I, a lot of kids go through that, but you know, I was strong enough to have you know family around me and prayer wars that kept me kept me afloat. Now you mentioned that you own a sports agency, MB Five uh, Sports Group. Uh, what inspired you to start this agency? Well, uh, my, when I started negotiating my own deal with my uh, agent at the time, and Robert, I was sitting at lunch, and I was telling him, I said, "Listen, let's let's market to the teams that have grass fields, because back then, field they didn't have field turf; they had those regular." carpet and put on top of the concrete. And I was telling him, I said, let's have a private workout. Let's write these eight teams at a time. I know San Fran, Miami, whatever, invite them to a private workout. And once they see me hundred percent, let's start negotiating. So he looked at me, he said, well, what made, he said, where you learn this from? I'm like, I just, you know, this, you know, this is me. Yeah. He said, well, don't you ever become an agent. You're going to put me out of business. You can't tell the minority kid from Liberty City what not to do. Right. So right then it triggered me like, I was like, bro, I'm looking at you like, really? So now it inspired me to really, really go. So when I got started playing with the Broncos, I made business cards. I gave John Elway one of my first business cards. I said, John, I'll do, you, I'll do your next contract deal for the low. Here it is. Give me a call. And everybody in the locker room was laughing, but I was dead serious. Yeah. You know, saying that I, I really want to pursue this. So I saw my vision, the life after him. So once I stopped after two years, you know, I, I thought the same mentally, but physically I wasn't that guy. I got me, I wanted to stay attached to the game. And that was my intro to do that. And I also became a scout because Dan Reeves, who drafted me, gave me a chance on life twice. He got the job at the Atlanta Falcons as a head coach. I reached out to him, say, coach, look, I, I do this. I, I know the players, I, I research, I study, and I evaluate. So he brought me in, we met. He said, well, I have a position open. You got to move to the Northwest. So here's a kid from Liberty City, Florida, on the bottom <laughs> on South Florida, right. moving away to, to Seattle on the Northwest, never been out there. And, but it taught me a lot culture-wise to be able to go, you know, saying those markets of Billing, Montana, Boozman, and then uh, put, uh, Billings, uh, just all over uh, Washington, yep. the state, you know, saying so Boise, Idaho. So I got a chance to really see a different world of culture, and it taught me how to how other people live and some you know so just a different culture so it was a great experience 
And also to the talent, I was rejecting everybody when I was evaluating because I'm comparing everybody to guys who I played with. So my director at the time, he, he called me and said, Mel, you can't reject everybody that you, you see. These kids are not on the level of, of in, in the Southeast region. I said, well, coach, I just got a hard time. This, this dude can't play dead in the Western. I'm like, hey, how you want me to take in, uh, to, to give him a, a draftable grade? He said, these guys are going to play at the next level. So I, I learned to evaluate, and, and it, it brought me to where I am right now as an agent. So what do you find most rewarding about being a sports agent? Well, right now, I've been in the game 20 years. I've, uh, the list of guys that I personally touched, what made me go get licensed and certified, I worked for an agency, and they it used me as a, I mean, had me as a, as a high-priced runner, basically. And I was doing it because I still had a contract with the Washington Redskins. I got terminated when Noah Turner got fired. Marty Schottenheimer came in. So, but I still was around the game. So the group that recruited me years ago asked me to come be a part of the agency. So, but I wasn't licensed. So I went the first year. I signed a kid named Erasmus James out of Wisconsin, first round pick. This happened in two months. I got started with them like late September. And I had a kid named Michael Bowley with fifth round out of Southern Miss, went to the Falcons. I won in the fifth round and I never did it before. And I look up like, okay, I could do this. So they came at me and they gave me like 2,500 bucks a month. It's just, and they paid for my travel, but I had a, I had a security, you know what I'm saying? With the one year left of my contract, I go around and I said, man, I, I'm pretty good at this. I like this. So they bumped me up to five grand a month, which was 60 K for that year. And I went to going, going, going. I came back with a kid named Vernon Davis who played uh, at the University of Maryland, went, you know, stands to the 49ers the six pick. And the same draft, I had Lawrence Maroney, first-round pick out of the University of Minnesota, went to the, the Patriots. And then I said, listen, I started seeing the numbers and the money. I'm like, wait a minute, this, this, this ain't adding up right. You know, the three other partners that sit at home, here I am, dominating out here. So uh, I didn't say anything. I come back. I said, I ended up signing Jamarcus Russell, the first pick of the draft at LSU. I had Dwayne Bowe. First round pick is receiver LSU with the Kansas City. And I had Sidney Rice, second round pick, top of the second. So I said, this is enough. So I went to them and said, listen, I want to be a partner in this agency. Look, what y'all had before me, I don't deserve anything going forward. But I bought to the table, I want 25%. They laughed at me. I said, okay. And when you're not on a contract, you basically get screwed because you have no leverage in a sense like that. So I had to, I learned like, okay, financially, I'm making. 60,000, Jamarcus' contract is over 60 million. Do the math. So I was like, you know what? I tell you what, I went and buckled down, got certified, and then that's when I started my own agency. But right now, this is not a job for me. When it becomes a job, I'm getting out. This is a passion. I love to see the young men, black, white, whatever color, go from zero to being millionaires overnight and being part of the birth of these, of these young men. I fired some guys before and they don't listen because I've made mistakes myself. I've been broke before. I made financial decisions wrong and I didn't have the, the support team around me or nobody to tell me the truth. Everybody kiss you behind when you're at the top. So I'm just a realist and I shoot straight from the hip. If you can't deal with that, you're not my type of client. And I and all money, good money for me. Well, uh, I would say this, uh, Mel, it seemed like you are living in your purpose. And uh, I can tell that you are uh, making a difference in uh, a lot of a lot of people's lives. And, and of course, finding in the sports industry, finding good agents who are honest and trustworthy and 
have the best interest of the, the player at heart is, uh, is something that's a, a very high-priced commodity. So I applaud you for, for all that you're doing. Um, just to close the show out, in, in about 30 seconds, could you tell me what you would like for your legacy to be? Well, just as a stand-up person, what you just spoke, you know, if you don't want the truth, don't come ask me, period. You know, my family, uh, even my fiance, anybody, I mean, you come ask me a question about how you think my hair look, no, you need to go get your wig tightened up, you know, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just one of those guys. I'm a, I'm a jokester as well. I'm a prankster. And Deion Sanders, our real close friends, I just spoke to him yesterday and told him I was doing your show and he told me good luck. But one of the things that just the camaraderie that what I, I'm, I'm a man of my word and that's all I have, you know yeah. what I'm saying? I'm not a billionaire yet, you know what I'm saying? But I, I, I stand hey, on my word. And my Mel, Mel, I hate to cut you off, but we're out of time for the show. Man, it has been a great interview. We didn't have enough time, but I appreciate you joining me. And to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D Brown CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.